here at 1 John chapter number 4. Look with me at verse number 12. And we'll read down through verse number 16. The Bible says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. The title of the sermon this evening is this, The Bible, the World Reads. The Bible, the world reads. Who is the Bible that the world reads? It's us, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand, Lord, these truths uh, from these scriptures. And Lord, uh, as we go verse by verse through 1 John, we cover some things that maybe even are somewhat repetitious from earlier this year. Lord, help them to be not only ingrained in our heads, but Lord, that we would begin to put them into practice within our hearts and lives. Lord, we ask for your guidance this evening, both as I speak and to the audience as they listen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Matthew, if you could bring that water bottle up here to me, I'd appreciate that off the front row. Thank you. It, it sure is great to be back in the book of First John. We began this year in chapter 1 and verse 1. Thank you. And, um, and we had worked our way through our theme verse for this year. Look back with me at First John 4. And verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verses that we're all familiar with in this room. Uh, verses that many of you watching online are familiar with. Verses that uh, we have heard uh, taught and explained, and we've even sung those verses here at our church. Um, uh, the, Christian the Christian life has so many layers to it. Uh, there's my relationship with God. My relationship with God. And then there's my relationship with other Christians. And then there's my relationship with the lost world. So I've got this relationship with God. I have my relationship with you all, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then I have relationships with people who are not saved. Uh, people that I interact with out at grocery stores or my neighbors in my neighborhood. For many of you that don't work in a church setting like this one, uh, you go to work and you have co-workers who are lost. And uh, you have family when you go to family reunions that very well may be lost. And we have these various relationships. These relationships are interconnected. And this is the point that John is trying to draw out for us in verse 12 through 16, is that my relationship with God affects my relationship with other Christians. My relationship with God affects my relationship with the lost. My relationship with other Christians affects my relationship with God. And my relationship with other Christians affects my relationship with the lost. If I can't get along with God and those who are saved, and I can't love God and those that are saved, how then am I going to love someone who is godless or away from God? It is, it, rather, if my relationship with God and others are right, then I greatly increase my chances at reaching a lost world. Why? Because they, the lost world, see 
that we Christians have with God and what we have with others, and they are attracted to this relational peace. They're attracted to this peace. Many lost people will never, on their own, pick up a Bible and read it. It's tough enough to get saved people to pick up a Bible and read it. Much less to get someone who's lost to pick it up and read it. Their determination, or rather their opinion of Christianity, is based on the Christians that they know. That they know. How many of you here have neighbors and you're certain they do not go to church? Would you raise your hand? You have neighbors and you're certain they do not go to church. You know, they know you go to church. You know, they're reading you. They're reading you, Christian. How many have co-workers who are not saved? Staff, do not raise your hand. Amen? <laughs> yes, Pastor Morales is not saved. That doesn't count, okay? Um, you know, the boss sometimes corrects you or uh, gives you an assignment you don't want. Or maybe um, you get cheated in some way. You get skipped over on a promotion. Office politics, right? Those other folks that know you go to church on Sundays, they're watching you. They're reading you. there There will be, please hear what I'm about to say. There will be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in hell. Because of the way Christians behave on social media. We can't get along with each other on social media. And because of that, the law says if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because we are the Bible they're reading. A woman by the name of Annie Johnson, Annie Johnson Flint, waxed eloquently and worded it this way. Christ has no hands but our hands to do His work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in His way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell men how He died. He has no help but our help to bring them to His side. We are the only Bible this careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message, given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with work other than His? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things His lips would spurn? How can we hope to help Him and hasten His return. Our ability or lack thereof to get along with God and get along with other Christians means the difference of eternal life and eternal death for the lost world. How does the world see Jesus? They see Jesus not with their physical eyes, but they see Jesus in the way we behave ourselves, our own personal integrity, and they see Jesus in the way we treat each other. I'm talking about Christian to other Christian. They see Jesus in our ethics. 
I propose that Christians have an obligation to share the gospel with the world around them, both with their lifestyle and with their language. Let's take a look at four vital truths as we consider this thought, the Bible the world reads. Point number one of the message this evening is this, our presentation of God's love. Our presentation of God's love. Each day when you get up and you get dressed and you put your sunshine smile on and you walk out the door uh, into the into the world and you meet people at the gas station and at the grocery store, at your place of work, and uh, you bump into your neighbor on your way home and uh, you, uh, you, you see uh, old friends, maybe you go to get a haircut or uh, wherever it would be, you are Christian putting on display. You are presenting to the world the love of God. Look at verse number 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, then God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Many people struggle to accept Christ because they have a hard time in believing in a God they cannot physically see or touch. Uh, uh, really what it is, their faith muscles are weak. Their faith muscles are weak. They're so reliant on what is sensible, what they can see, what they can touch, what they can feel, that they don't have it within them to trust uh, and believe. So how do people like this find their way to Christ? Some through their own research. They dig deep and they dig long and they look hard and they study all the ins and outs of Christianity. Did Jesus really raise from the dead and is Jesus really who he claimed to be? And they need to scrutinize and scrutinize and scrutinize through research before they can get there. Hey, that's great. People like that who get saved, boy, they really, really get it when they do get saved because it's such a faith leap for them. Some uh, people uh, get saved uh, through other means, but many, if not most, of those who get saved do so because there was some true Christians in their life and they want what those Christians have. They look at the other Christians and they say, I want what those people have. Are you one of those Christians that when the world looks at you, they say, you know what? He or she is different than I am. He or she has a peace with God and others that I can't find. I want what they have. Boy, that's the name of the game. We want to present God's love in a way that draws people in. Psalm chapter 23 in verse 3. If you know the verse, which you probably do, once I get going, quote it with me. Ready? He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Why? Why does God, as our good shepherd, lead us down a path of righteousness? He does it for His own name's sake. He does it to protect His own reputation. You know, I wonder if God's not up in heaven doing a lot of that. Because people that call themselves Christians act like a bunch... Well, I'm not going to use the word I want to use. And they don't act very well. They don't act very Christian. And people say, if that's Christianity, then I just don't want it. The question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves is this. Do others see Jesus in me? 
Do others see Jesus in me? Do they recognize the truths that are laid out in Scripture when they read my lifestyle? Do they see Jesus in you? Boy, are the evidences of Scripture, Christ's teaching, are they, are they alive and well in your lifestyle? You know, Jesus, when He walked the earth, was surrounded by people who were broken looking for help. And Christians, that's what we need. We need to be a magnet to broken people because we have the answers. And we are loving people. And people say, if that's Christianity, boy, give me some of that. I I want what they have. I want what she has. I want what he has. He is a walking presentation of the love of God. Mahatma Gandhi. You know what he said, don't you? He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch! Now, Mr. Um, Mr. Gandhi, that's really poor logic. It really is poor logic. If you like the Christ, then you become a Christian and show other Christians how they're to live. But can I tell you, there's a lot of people in that camp. They walk away from Christianity because we're not putting God's love on display like we should. We're not called to be perfect, but we must be reminded that our lost family members... Our lost co-workers, our lost neighbors are watching us. We represent Christ. We need to do it well. Number one, our presentation of God's love. Number two, our perfection because of God's love. Our perfection because of God's love. Look back at verse, uh, uh, I believe that's number 12. I didn't put, yeah, verse number 12. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. His love uh, is perfected in us. You know what that means? It means that it's made better. A little at a time, over and over again. If any of you have a skill that you're any good at, whatever that skill would be, my my skill that I'm still working to perfect is public speaking. Some of you work with your hands. Some of you play a musical instrument. Uh, some of you play video games. Amen. Uh, but everyone has a skill. The kids are like, yeah, that's my skill. I'm going to do it for a living, man. I'm going to make lots of money on YouTube. Uh, but uh, uh, whatever your skill is, right? You 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 perfect that over time. Do you know that anything that you perfect, boy, there's going to be moments of frustration along the way. There's going to be points where you're bothered and you you feel like a failure and you want to throw in the towel and quit and you don't want to do it anymore because you feel that it's just too hard for you to keep going. I remember the first time I ever preached a sermon. I was just a young man and uh, at 13, 14 years old, I was in a preaching competition and I got up and I failed miserably. My, 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 my vocal cords locked up and my knees began to knock and, and my mouth got real dry and I got cotton in my mouth and, 
And and I remember I was at it was a, it was a it was a Christian school preaching competition for junior high boys. And I remember going off in a room afterwards and shutting the door, and my little thirteen year old self just weeping and crying about how embarrassed I was. And you know, um, when we're trying to have God's love perfected in us, there's times where it's hard. It's hard. To have God's Faithfully church for 30 plus years. You've been going to church for 30 plus years. Hold them up a minute. Keep them up. Put your hand down if you've, you've never had a personality clash with anyone at church. You've never had a personality clash with... Those of you that had your hand up, I'm sure there were times where you felt like, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to see... Such and such. You know what? God brings people in our lives who we don't get along with. And He's trying to perfect His love in us. Are we going to fight that process? When I was a teenager, I had kids I didn't get along with very well. I was a 7th grade boy, and I was living in uh, Mississippi, and I was, um, I was bullied. I was bullied. I can't. You all can't see me getting bullied, can you? I mean, no one. Why would anyone want to do that to me? I'm such a nice guy. But my dad was the school principal, and they hated my dad because he took a stand for what was right in the school, and so they took out their anger from him on me. And you know, I was shoved in lockers and pushed in showers with my gym clothes on, cold showers with my gym clothes on. And I mean, they'd pick on me. At one point, they took my brother's shoe off. He was like a fifth grader, and they threw it across the gym behind a bunch of stuff where he there's no way he could get it. And uh, uh, my dad told the boy, go get the shoe, and, and he refused to do so. And so um, it turned into a big uh, confrontation. And, and, and you know, um, I, I can remember as a young man sitting at the table uh, with my mom late at night. My dad didn't really want me to be weepy or cry. He just told me to grow up and toughen up and, and, and like a good dad should do. But I'd sit there at 10, 11 o'clock at night after all my siblings had gone to bed. And I'd complain to my mom about how hard I had it. And how mean these people were. And I can remember, I went to, a, I was on the varsity basketball team as a seventh grader, but don't, don't be too impressed. There were seven guys on the whole team. Amen? Uh, but I was on the varsity basketball team, and I fell asleep in the van on an away trip. And one of the tenth grade boys, he stuck his finger in his mouth and got it wet and stuck it in my ear. And what, that's how he woke me up. And, and I just remember the ridicule and the picking and the problems and the pain and, and, and the, the hating to go to school. 
school and not being able to stand it. And my mom looked at me and she said, me, she said, Richard, God is going to put sandpaper people in your life. They're sandpaper people because they're there to rub the rub edges off of you. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where you live, there will always be a sandpaper person in your life. So you might as well get used to it now. Do you have a sandpaper person in your life? You know what? I would guess the lion's share of us in here have a sandpaper person in their life. Hey, don't hate them. Don't resent them. You may not like them as a person. Uh, you may not want to go have a cup of tea or coffee with them. You may not enjoy their presence. But you need to get on your knees and you need to thank God that He loves you enough to put someone in your life who you can't get along with because God is trying to perfect His love in you. You know, um, you don't get better at anything until you struggle and you fail. You struggle and you fail. And you get up and try again. And you struggle and you fail. And you struggle and you fail. And one day you get up and you don't struggle and fail anymore. You succeed. The perfection of God's love. Look back at uh, the verse there. It says, verse 12, it says, And His love is perfected in us. Boy, that sounds so pretty, doesn't it? Oh, I want God's love perfected in me. Buckle your seatbelt, because it's going to be a journey. Matthew 5.16 says this, it says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When the world looks from outside the church at those in the church who love each other, and get along with each other, and can put up with each other, and can tolerate each other, guess what? They look at that and say, I can't do that. The world can't do that. My friends can't do that. My families can't do that. Boy, that marriage was having a tough time, and they survived. Uh, that parent... Uh, uh, child adult relationship was struggling but it survived i don't know how they do that and we step back and say it is the love of god being perfected in us come to the master and let him teach you the same love that he's given me our perfection because of god's love number three our proof of god's love our proof of god's love look at uh, verse 13 with me in first john 4 it says hereby Know we, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Pastor, how do I know if the love I give to others is my love or God's love? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. How do I know that the love I'm giving to someone else is my love or God's love? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we looked at these verses Quite a bit last year with our theme rooted in Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is, what is it? What's the first one on the list? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God's love is capable of so much more than the love that we can conjure up. How many of you have realized that your love has limits? There's only so much you can do, right? God's love has no limits. I had someone ask me one time, they said, Pastor, so you're telling me that if a pedophile 
were to come to Jesus, Jesus would save them. And I said, yep. And they said, how is that possible? And I said, because you and I have limitations on our love, but God has no limitations on His love. God has no limitations on His forgiveness. One thing I can promise you, and that is that people will hurt you. People will disappoint you. People will let you down. How do you know if the love that you're giving to others is your love or God's love? The answer really isn't all that complicated. When someone takes advantage of you, can you continue to love them anyway? Because if you can't, then it was never God's love to begin with. If you can, then you are loving them with God's love. Look back at verse 13 of 1 John 4. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His, capital S, Spirit. It's not my job, really, to love anyone. It's my job to allow the Spirit of God to love others through me. Amen? It's my job to get out of the way and quit putting forth such a strong effort and say, Okay, Spirit of God, if you tell me to do this for this person at this time and in this way, if you tell me to go over and behave in this way, I'm going to do it. You know what I've found is that the Spirit of God never leads me wrong. He never leads me wrong. Where I get led wrong is when I tell the Spirit of God, in essence, to be quiet, and I go do it my way. And when I'm loving others my way, oh boy, it gets messy real quick. When I have strife with Angela at home, or I butt heads with my kids, and I'm in the flesh, you know what I'm doing? I'm not obeying the Spirit. I'm obeying me. And I'm doing what I want. When I have a church member that pushes me to my edge and my limits, and I, can't, I just feel that I can't love them anymore, and I don't know how to help them, and I don't know what to do with them, and I just want to throw up my hands and walk away, it's the Spirit of God that says, it was never your duty to love them anyway. It was your duty to get out of the way and let me love them through you. How do we know if God's love is working through us? Well, when people push you, people take advantage of you, People hurt you. Well, the Bible says right here that you know that you're dwelling in Him and He's dwelling in you. Why? Because the Spirit of God is alive and well and working. Look down at verse 16. And we have known, there's that proof, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. You see how these are just interwoven. Here's how you know it. You know it because you are dwelling in love, and you're dwelling in God, and God is dwelling in Him. I sometimes will watch my daughter. She sits there on the couch, and she's watching TV, and she's got three strings of hair, and she's weaving them. Right? And she gets it done. She puts a rubber band in it. She takes the rubber band out. She rakes it out, and she does it all over again. She puts the rubber band on, she takes it out, she rakes it out, she does it all over again. I'm like, why you stop? Just leave the rubber band, it was great. Actually, I don't say that to her, but I think it, amen? You know, that's really what it is. It's God being interwoven with us, and, and then love being interwoven with us and God. And, and, and that's really the key. 
is we learn to dwell in love. And then we learn to dwell in God. And then we let God dwell in us. And, and God's love uh, is mixed in there. And boy, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. I, I just want to add this here before we move on to the last point. I'm almost done. It, this is not a destination you arrive at overnight. This takes time. This is next level Christian growth stuff. This is hard. But if our church is going to have a revival and spark a revival to this country, as a church, this is where we got to get. This is where we got to get. We've got to get to a place where God's love flows through us and on others, no matter how broken they are. Get your outline there. Can we say the points together? Point number one, help me with the filled in blank. Ready? Our presentation of God's love. Number two, our perfection because of God's love. Number three, our proof of God's love. And number four, and lastly, our proclamation of God's love. Look at verse 14 with me in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 14, the Bible says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Look back at verse 14. We have seen and do testify. We have seen and do testify. Do you believe that God's love really can change the world? Do you really believe that? I had someone ask me after church this morning, Pastor, what's the answer to the world's problems? And I said, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to give you a pastor answer. God's love is the answer to the world's problems. Boy, we, we just need, we need to get everyone back closer to God. Our founding fathers told us that this country is only going to work if you stay morally strong. Throw your morals out the window, this system is not going to work. This is not going to work. And guess what? God has been chucked out the window, and he's been chucked out the window for a long time. What's the answer? It's the love of God. Let me ask you another question this evening. Has God's love changed your life? Let me ask a question to the married couples in the room tonight. How many would say, Pastor, I'd probably be divorced if it wasn't for God and his love? Would you hold up your hand? Isn't it beautiful what God's love has the power to do? Do you believe that God's love is the answer to the world's problems? Do you believe that God's love uh, has changed your life? Uh, so you have seen God's love radically touch your life. And so now, what should you do? You should testify of what you've seen. You should testify of what you've experienced. You should testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, as verse 14 tells us. What evidence do you need to know that you are saved? What evidence do you, uh, do you need to convince 
convince the world that Jesus saves? Does the love of God dwell in you? Is there a burning passion inside of you uh, so that you will share the love of God with others? I look at a broken world and I turn on the news just for a few minutes and I have to shut it back off. I I look at all of the hurt, all of the, the, the sadness, all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the struggle, and I just want to stand up on a mountaintop where everybody in the population can hear me and say, God's love is the answer. Come to the Lord. Christian, why are we so shy to tell the world about Jesus? What do we have to be ashamed of? Turning your Bibles over to Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 32. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32. And Jesus makes a strong and bold statement here. Strong and bold statement. Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32. Christian, we have a duty and an awesome privilege to tell a hurting world that Jesus' love is the answer to their eternal soul. Look at verse 32, Matthew 10. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But... Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now this, verse 33, is not saying that you will lose your salvation. But what it is saying is that Jesus being your mediator thing, going to God on your behalf, confession of sin, and you know all the things that He does as our priest, sitting at the right hand of the Father... God says, whoa, hold the phone, time out on all that. You're going to deny me before men? I'm not going to the Father on your behalf. But, if you will confess me before men, I will talk about you on a regular basis before my Father. Pastor Morales, I'm going to use your illustration from... Thursday, right now. Amen? I'm going to give him credit. If you tune in this Thursday at 7 p.m. I get the time right, Miss Marcia? 7 p.m. We're going to finish up our series on how to lead. Imagine with me, if you will, that I was walking by your house. And your house was on... I came in and and I got you and your family and I was able to lead you to safety out of the house and you were able to escape any injury, but in breaking into your house, I suffered second and third degree burns. The paramedics arrived and checked your family out and everybody was fine. Other than losing your house, belongings can be replaced, you are good. However, me... I suffered injuries that uh, they, they had to put me in the ambulance and take me to the hospital. I was there for a month or two or three, and uh, there I was in, in the hospital and getting better and skin grafts and all kinds of surgeries. And in this hypothetical, I get better, but my face is marred and my, my appearance is not quite the same. Well, you, uh, insurance gives, cuts you a check and you're able to get a new home and get settled into your new home and I've just gotten out of the hospital and you're having a birthday party for a family member and I show up at your house and I knock on the door. Let me ask you a question. When you open that door and see me standing there, 
Would you invite me into your house? You'd invite me into your house, wouldn't you? Well, I'm the one that saved you from that fire. You'd invite me in. Would you, would you introduce me to your acquaintances and your family and your friends that were at that party? Or would you be ashamed that you knew me? Now, my friend, I did not save you from an earthly fire. But the Lord Jesus Christ saved you from an eternal fire. Why are we so ashamed to tell the world about it? You say, well, I would never openly deny Jesus. When you have the opportunity at work or at a family reunion or with your coworkers or with your neighbors, or you, you have an opportunity uh, uh, when you're at the barbershop or at the grocery store or at the gas station and you go, no, nah, I don't think, no, nah, I, I, that's uncomfortable. I'm so glad God didn't worry about how uncomfortable it was when He hung up on that cross and died for my sins. What are we waiting for, folks? The world is dying. Our country is burning. We have racial tension in this country like I've never seen. And there's great reason for the tension right now. But the answer is not that we sit down and have some big talk through. The answer is that we start loving the world and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, that Christians would get serious about this. In the weeks to come, Pastor Morales and I will be presenting to the church a plan for Saturday mornings. We're going to start calling our Saturday mornings Great Commission Saturday. Great Commission Saturday. And uh, we, we're, we're going to have a multi-pronged approach at reaching the community and getting into our church. And not everyone's going to be asked to go out and knock on a door cold turkey. Some of you will be able to, to do a mail-out. Others of you will be able to just hang a door hanger. We will need some folks to knock on doors and invite folks. Uh, but everybody, we're asking everybody who calls themselves a member of White Oak Baptist Church to consider getting involved and helping. If the schedule does not work for you, we will find way to accommodate you, to get you involved, so that this community can know that Jesus saves. I don't want to stand before God one day and have God look at me and say, you did not proclaim me to your community. Oh yeah, you had a nice church, and oh yeah, your people were sweet, and oh yeah, you and preached three times a week, and oh yeah, you enjoyed all the benefits of being a pastor. You took in a nice paycheck, and you let your church family love on you, and oh, you, you, you sat there like a fat cat, and you didn't do anything. No, when I get to heaven, I want God to say to me, you took the Word of God, and you proclaimed it to the community, and you organized the troops, and you sent them out in the community, and you told the lost about Jesus. Boy, Christians, we need to get busy Proclaiming the greatest love story that could ever be told. We have some gospel tracks in the lobby right now. Why don't you fill your pocket or your purse up before you leave? Why don't we get busy telling others about Jesus? You say, I don't know what to say. Smile at them and say, hi, my name is. Tell them your name. And say, this brochure will tell you how you can go to heaven. And if you have any more questions about that, I would love to help you. Can you do that this evening? Can you do that? Let's not deny the Father. Let's not deny Jesus. And we don't want Him denying us before the Father. Let's let the love of God be perfected in us and through us. Paul, or rather, John is saying here, 
you need to have a relationship with God, your fellow Christians, and your fellow man that's lost. Those three are interwoven. Oh Lord, may not one person go to hell because of our inability to get along here in church. Lord, may we be thoughtful about what we post on social media. May we be careful about what we say to lost family members and friends. May we not run down the church, run down a brother or sister at the church. Lord, may we love each other. Help your love to be perfected in us. And Lord, help us to be that light that shines forth so others will see it and give you the glory in heaven. Lord, may we get busy proclaiming the gospel. Lord, will you do a great work in our hearts this evening, in this time of invitation. Help us to make decisions that will change the course of how we live our lives. In Jesus' name.